and Willis has gone long because Guzan had gone upfield. There's an empty net and Nashville has stroked it towards the net and it's gone in! What a goal! Incredible! Incredible goal! 2-0! Randall Leal and Nashville are going to win in Atlanta! Hello and welcome to the Club and Country podcast. We are the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling, Nashville SC radio analyst on ESPN 94.9. And I am Tim Sullivan, the editor, owner, proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. The music you've heard is courtesy of Moon Taxi, a local band, as we cover a local team with our local voices. And you heard Randall Leal's empty netter, assisted by keeper Joe Willis, as broadcast by Tony Husband on ESPN 94.9. It was Daniel Rios' first goal of the season that opened the scoring for Nashville SC, the club's first road win of the season, nearly two-thirds of the way through the campaign, and its first-ever win in Atlanta in three tries. A banner Saturday for Nashville SC, especially, Tim, when you consider the adversity that's coming up. Yeah, I kind of end up sounding like a broken record sometimes in these opening segments, but it is important to, to maybe be, be that middle-of-the-road of the sort of guy. It's not necessarily a game changer in terms of Nashville's playoff pace. They climb up to 1.1 or 1.00 points per game on the road, but that's more smoothing the data that has previously had a low sample size and, to be honest, still has a low sample size than kind of changing the narrative a little bit about that. But the boys in gold will need to continue to play like this or it's all for naught because it is that tough road coming up. So were you on um, Nashville SC's like, kit management team in Atlanta? Because um, I think you you brought the cold water to this discussion as well. Um, well, it's it's more it's more a matter of saying that the the previous status wasn't as bad as it felt. Yeah, more so than that, that there's anything wrong with where things stand now. No, I'm completely with you, and I think you know it could potentially be a game changer if it sets the tone for the way Nashville mm-hmm. approaches future road matches, and if they're able to use this as a as a bit of a proof point that they can earn those road road results, and they're going to need to have that confidence because four of the next five matches are going to be away from Nissan stadium. The home contest coming up Friday will be against NYCFC, which just shut out first place, new England. I know Tim is going to have a, a pretty grand proclamation about this New York city team that you're going to stay tuned to hear. It's going to be a tough match and Nashville's going to enter that match without Walker Zimmerman, of course, the MLS defender of the year last year without its breakthrough right back, the heart of its midfield, one of its attacking catalysts, maybe even its captain. Yeah, fortunately, Dax McCarty is expected to return. He missed Saturday's contest for both yellow card accumulation, a disciplinary suspension, as well as being on the uh, injury list for Major League Soccer's COVID health and safety protocols. The suspension is served. So um, let's not forget with the other guys that the World Cup qualifier is taking Randall Leal, Anibal Godoy, Alistair Johnson and Walker Zimmerman. Very glad I didn't stumble thinking of any of those. Uh, the Pigeons will also be missing some some guys this weekend. They have three center backs unavailable. So while it may feel a little painful in Nashville, it's it's being felt around the league, including the opposition. We're about to see some seven-on-seven seven, uh, soccer, uh, essentially, although Nashville <laughs> certainly has cultivated some defensive reinforcements. It's my world. Yeah. Uh, that's right, yeah. Uh, it'll be better seven-on-seven seven soccer than the, the NSC media game that was uh, played a few <laughs> months ago, at least we would hope. Um, today, an absolutely packed show, so we're going to shut up and get out of the way. Uh, gold Nuggets, several firsts for Nashville against Atlanta. We cited those earlier. Let's go into more detail about that. And then we'll get into the tactics behind how the boys in gold got the job done because there were some tweaks, some changes, and we're wondering if those were the exception or could maybe even be the rule going forward for this team. Then a pair of interviews today. Tim chatted with 
the Cooligans, and it was an awesome conversation. Tim, who are the Cooligans? Why are they making soccer cool again in New York City, and what can we expect from that discussion? Yeah, they are the the funniest comedians who host the best soccer podcast and also the gulliest soccer podcast anyone has ever heard. Um, two guys <laughs> who who love New York City FC and and definitely have a brand. Tim matches them joke for joke. You're really going to enjoy the conversation with uh, with the Cooligans, and then we're going to take things even closer to home. The Tennessee Titans have several players who have gotten super into Nashville SC's emergence here in the last couple of years. And one of them is Titans linebacker Jayon Brown, a standout on the team. But on weekends lately, he's been wearing gold. How did he get into soccer? What does he think of this year's team? He also roots for a team globally that's been in the headlines uh, quite a bit here lately. You're going to enjoy that interview that Braden Gall did with, with Jalen Brown. He actually ran it on the 440 last week as part of the 440 Sports Network, but we thought we'd play it for you guys as well. And then the mailbag, you guys want to know how Nashville SC can set up for success against NYCFC. And also, has tactical versatility caught Nashville's opponents off guard? We've seen players like Alistair Johnston move from right back to right center back. We've seen different formations. Can we expect to see Alistair at right center back more often? Those questions and more. And then the big topic this week in addition to Nashville SC is, of course, World Cup qualifying. Three matches straight ahead that could have an early ability to define how things are going to look for the U.S. men's national team. They can't qualify in these three matches but they can put themselves behind the eight ball if they don't get results. What do we expect from the first triad of matches? All right, let's do the early shout. Love it, just come in field, slip through for Rios, right-footed, scores for Nashville in stoppage time at the end of the first half. Daniel Rios hasn't started a game since the away win at Orlando on the last day of the regular season, and he marks his return to the starting lineup with a first goal of this season. Daniel Rios with his first goal of 2021 got things started for Nashville SC in stoppage time in the first half. A lot of firsts for Nashville on Saturday. Let's get into those gold nuggets then. It was Nashville's first true road win in 293 days, going back to decision day against Orlando. We say true road win because, of course, they won in the playoffs against Toronto in what is affectionately known as Toronto Southeast, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, but in front of no fans and against a Toronto team that had been playing away from its home for the, the bulk of the season. Uh, with nine of the teams remaining 13, though, Tim, happening away from their friendly confines at Nissan Stadium, did the setup and performance against Atlanta, in your opinion, provide that template for success away from home? I think after the game, Gary Smith was was really clear that the way that this team set up on the day was to succeed on the day. And it might not necessarily apply to teams that are, you know, within not within six games of having fired Gabriel Heinze. Mm -hmm. But more than does this specific setup suddenly have some magic pill on the road. It's further confirmation that Smith is able to tinker the specifics within larger frameworks to find the best matchups. We've seen it when Nashville was predominantly a back four team. And, and now we see it that they're predominantly a back three, back five team is that there are, you know, significant tweaks and, and some minor tweaks that really allow them to find the best matchups available. It's Daniel Rios's first goal of 2021, and he's overcome a lot of things this season, uh, dating back to the offseason where he was severely limited by injury, and that spilled into uh, the beginning of this year. Of course, a crowded depth chart as he's sitting there rehabbing. He's looking at guys like CJ Sapong getting signed ahead of him, and of course, more recently, Ake Loba. Club record DP striker comes in, and you've got to be thinking, as a second-year MLS pro, 
what does this mean for my future here? Um, but against Atlanta, he got his first start of the season, took five shots, and he benefited from CJ Sapong uh, creating four chances, uh, many of which came Rios's way. Should we expect to see more of him in the near term or for the rest of this year? Or do you see him more as a placeholder, as another depth piece until Ake Loba is ready to consistently go 60 plus minutes. Yeah, I mean, I've always been on record as a big Rios guy, so it won't surprise anybody to, to learn that I felt a little bit of vindication Saturday afternoon. But I mean, over the past two seasons, only Luke Hawkinson is more productive in terms of XG per minute on the field. And of course, Hawkinson has done that with a lot less playing time. Uh, according to American Soccer Analysis, in Rios's 1,005 minutes, he's producing 0.57 expected goals per 96 minutes, which is the average length of an MLS game. The problem is that it has only been in 1,005 minutes because he's not been able to get over persistent injuries. Um, he's had other you know, time out of the lineup, and it's something that you know, he he's kind of put behind the eight ball because of those situations. And fortunately, he's found his way back onto the field. And I think he's done enough in, in his first start to kind of show, hey, I'm not just a placeholder. And so we'll see what happens when both of those guys are fully healthy and fully match fit. And potentially the tiebreaker is the value of trust. Every manager likes to be able to depend on guys that they know well. Uh, Gary Smith, I think, doubles down on that and is maybe mm -hmm. um, in the in the 90th percentile of managers in that in that regard. He knows Daniel Rios. He trusts him. You can't help but trust Ake Loba's raw ability. But if I have a Rios who I know is going to execute my game plan for 65 minutes, and then I have a Loba who's as explosive and talented as he is who can come in late, I know eventually that salary, that transfer fee, that's going to alone probably justify Loba getting on the field ahead of Rios. In the near term, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm fine with, with keeping the Daniel train going, especially as well as, as he played with Sapong, who I think is, is sharpied mm -hmm. in right now um, at the starting spot. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, for Sapong needing a rest occasionally, too. Sure. He has not had a lot of it since he's really started scoring. So I think there will be plenty of minutes to come by, but that obviously could come at the expense of other guys that we've talked about, maybe losing their spot on the field. Yonder Kadis, um, potentially Abu Damadi, fewer minutes available as a pure striker. He might have to kind of be a bit more of a winger if he wants to see the field. Second straight match that Yonder Cadiz was not uh, even available on uh, on the bench. Um, here's a number for you. 15,579. That is the number of minutes in MLS play for Joe Willis. And he notched his first career assist in all those minutes in the waning moments against Atlanta. He now leads Major League Soccer in clean sheets, a category he won last year too. And he added an offensive metric to the score sheet. Won't go down as his busiest day. Nashville only allowed a couple shots on target. You could argue it should have been three shots on target and probably a 1-1 draw if Joseph Martinez doesn't miss what for him was a sitter. Any time, though, that Joseph Martinez is ripping his clothes in anger at the end of a match, <laughs> you've done something well defensively, and Joe Willis certainly has been a key part of that uh, throughout the year. Is he building a case for consideration in your mind as a goalkeeper of the year finalist? I think he's getting there, but it's easy to forget almost that he was rough to start the year. There were mm -hmm. rough stretches, especially on set pieces when Walker Zimmerman was unavailable. So the numbers have not really caught up to probably how it feels like Willis has played, which is very good. Um, he's still below average over the course of the entire season, allowing 111% of the expected goals that he faces. So uh, that's something that's going to maybe have to get back to where he was last year, where he was comfortably ahead of average, if he's going to want to even be in contention for that at the end of the year. But you mentioned the offensive contribution. Wes, I blacked this out on our rundown, so you can't see it. <laughs> there have been 
Three other keepers in MLS to record an assist this year. If you can name one of them, I'll give you a U.S. dollar. A U.S. dollar. I prefer Shroot Bucks. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. So I, I, I have not seen this highlight. So this is going to be an, an informed guess. And it's only informed because I'm thinking of um, you know, an active, respected keeper who's played a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm even narrowing it down to those who play on maybe smaller fields where dimensions could make it easier for a keeper to go deep down the field. I'm going to go Yankee Stadium. I'm going to go Sean Johnson of NYCFC. Yes, Sean Johnson is one of them. And his teammate, <laughs> Luis Barraza, has also contributed one already this year in an extremely limited playing time when Johnson was away with the U.S. men's national team. The other is uh, Felipe from FC Dallas who uh, played Sunday evening in a, in a thrilling game uh, for FC Dallas. He is not their regular starter, but he does have an assist on the year. Yeah, allowed three goals, but his team scored five. <laughs> um, I, I edit these podcasts as well. I'm going to go back and try to find uh, like a championship, like a, a bell ringing or some sort of celebratory <laughs> audio to go with that. And uh, you can pay up. If, if you find a dollar beer night somewhere in town, we'll go catch up and um, you can you can buy me a, a cheap, cheap. I'm, I'm a Coors Light guy when it comes to the cheapest of the cheap <laughs> beer, so. Um, that, that will work. Final gold nugget. Nashville was the only, was only the third team to score multiple goals in Atlanta this season. And after the first Atlanta match, we ticked through how often it had happened ever, which was, I think, mm-hmm. maybe never. Yeah, it's happened one. Yeah, three times this year. Um, two of those teams have been Nashville, or should I say one of those teams has been Nashville. They've done it twice. Uh, they were the first to do it and win, though. As Philadelphia and, uh, and Nashville the first time both drew 2-2 with Atlanta in those matches, with that in mind, thinking from a historical standpoint, but also the first road win, elevating Nashville, keeping them going in the standings on a day when New York City beat New England, uh, which was not largely expected, with all that stuff in mind, was this the most valuable result of the season for Nashville so far? There are a few ways that it, that it probably was. Perception, this was a Nashville team that had a reputation for not being able to win on the road. I already went on my mini rant at the top of the show about that. This was a team that needed to get that monkey off of its back and specifically going to Atlanta, a team that although has not been very good the last couple of years is still the Atlanta team that kind of has the, the hearts and minds of a lot of people around the country as a, an incredible, incredibly strong team. Um, the thing is Atlanta hadn't been playing that well, even though they had been on a five game uh, unbeaten streak, they hadn't per- played particularly well. They'd gotten a little bit of luck. Nashville's losses and draws on the road had been a little bit unlucky. So, you know, from a practical on-field perspective, it's probably not the most valuable result of the season. But as we all know, practical on-field perspective is never the only factor in this game. And I think in terms of, of morale and in terms of, of how it's going to make people around the country look at Nashville, it probably is that. And thank goodness Nashville doesn't base its own self-perception on what others are thinking or saying uh, about this team because uh, they'd be close to the bottom of the table in that respect, as overlooked <laughs> as they often are. But, but you're right, and you saw just a cavalcade of praise come in from league-wide voices um, after that win. It didn't hurt, of course, that it was the only game in its time slot uh, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I, I think I'll go the intangible route and say yeah, I think it probably is, um, for the reasons that you mentioned, from from a you know more of a of a figurative of. What, uh, just feelings ball, I like to say. The feelings ball. That's a good one. I'm going to have to borrow that. We'll uh, paraphrase Olivia Newton-John. Let's get tactical, tactical, and discuss the tactics behind the win, uh, as we do love to dabble in the, in the tactical analysis. If you want full tactical analysis of Nashville SC's play, it's easier in written form, and Tim specializes in that stuff. It is his jam. So go to clubcountryusa.com, and you can 
read all about that, not just with this game, but with, with all of them. Uh, but let's go a little tactical here. We'll go like 200 level deep. Um, it was a 3-5-2 formation for Nashville. Now, they've been dealing with the three-slash-five-man back line um, mm-hmm. for most of their recent matches. Um, in fact, for the for the foreseeable past, um, you could call past setups a 3-5-2 if you wanted. They kind of worked out that way, but nominally the technical staff was, was calling them 3-4-3s. This time it was a true... 3-5-2. Nashville went with a striker pairing for the first time since that New England away match. That time it was Aki Loba and Yonder Cadiz, this time Sapong and Rios, with Hani Mukhtar playing underneath. There was no Rendell Leal in the setup this time. Nashville knew it would trail the possession battle against a team like Atlanta, which led the league coming in in that category. That has not changed uh, after that match. Atlanta had about 60% of the ball. But this set them up really well to play through those two forwards and to thrive on the counter, and they really were able to take advantage of space and, and play through those two forwards. Yeah, in terms of what the, the setup was that was different or the same to past weeks, I would call the previous setup, which, again, they're kind of overlapping quite a bit here. It was a bit of a hybrid formation. Leal would play underneath Mukhtar and Sapong. Mukhtar was kind of that that side-by-side striker with Sapong. But Sapong would also slide to the middle or even slide to the sidelines with those two out wide as, as his nominal wingers plenty. So this was really a pure 3-5-2 because it relied heavily on Mukhtar being able to pull the strings. And he wasn't directly involved in either goal. His ability to be clean on the ball, which is, uh, I think, as Nashville fans, especially if they can remember as far back as last year, have not always had the utmost confidence in. That is what allowed NSC to really stretch the five stripes, get those lines a a little bit farther apart than they wanted, and open passing lanes for a decent offensive day. And more importantly, it meant that Atlanta's only offense was largely going to have to come on the counter itself when they didn't muster enough. And speaking of opening up those passing lanes and creating some some unique angles and maybe catching Atlanta off guard, Dan Lovitz on the right. He played in a right wing back slash right back role for the first time in his Nashville tenure uh, and allowed Alistair Johnston to move back to right center back in that three-man back line. And the reason they could do that was that Taylor Washington has continued to earn the trust of this technical staff mm-hmm. and got the start on the left wing back. He's a good left back. He's an even better left wing back when he's got a little more of that versatility and ability to, to get forward and wear out the turf on the left side. And he offers some some defensive stability as well. They put him out there so he can mark Brooks Lennon, who loves to get forward um, for Atlanta. So Lovitz ended up being the fourth highest player on the pitch, if you look at average positioning. So the three attackers and then Lovitz on the right. It also pulled Alistair forward to make the right flank the epicenter of the attack. Uh, that right third of the pitch ended up being the home of 37% of Nashville's possession, which was um, the highest of the three areas of the field. And if you looked at the average position map, it almost kind of looked more like a, a 4-3-1-2 in a way, uh, with Alistair, the, the right center back, kind of coming up and looking almost like a, a right fullback in that positioning. Um, with all that in mind, what did Lovitz's role as an inverted right back do for you? He's a left-footed player. You know, It kind of helped Nashville work the ball inside from him. Is it something you'd expect to see Gary repeat, or was it, again, just kind of a unique tactical move based on what he knew Atlanta was going to throw at him? For starters, lefties should be playing all 11 roles on the pitch. I'm available yes. for tryouts, Gary. Thank you. Same here. You already have, already have one of the best left-footed uh, keepers in the league. Uh, I would put Willis above Brad Guzan. Um, but that's a, that's a tweak for another day. Tweak for another day. <laughs> uh, what's interesting about this approach is that it, it took one of Lovitz's strongest attributes, which is that service from the cross. It took it completely off the table, and he still managed to get an assist by turning that left foot into a through ball machine, which really worked out for him. Gary did mention after the game that it 
actually didn't quite play out exactly like they wanted. Um, Nashville's lower possession numbers prevented them from truly exploiting that Lovitz-Johnston relationship on the right side and kind of having a little bit more possession over there. Obviously, it did help in terms of defending what Atlanta wanted to do, but certainly putting two fullbacks who are strong in possession next to each other, when you have a third guy who can hold down the other side, obviously we can't say enough positives about Taylor Washington with the way that he played on Saturday. Um, you know, that gives you a little bit more flexibility to say, okay, let's let's have a guy who's who's basically playing a center back role, but has that fullback skill set, and we can do a little bit more and be a little bit more creative tactically. I did something on Saturday that I've only done once, um, once other one other time this year, and that is I watched the match live uh, without broadcasting <laughs> it uh, because it was a national TV game on Univision. Um, Tony Husband and Jamie Watson moved to radio and did a fantastic job, but John Freeman and I were the studio hosts pre-halftime and post-game, and then we sat with them and just listened to their call and watched. And as I was watching, the one thing that kept striking me as I was prepping the post-game show and doing all other you know work during the match was how much space there was available to Nashville throughout the match, but especially in the second half for the counterattack. And the stats, the numbers bear that out. Uh, Matt Doyle, MLS writer, um, cited second spectrum data as indicating that the average gap between Atlanta's midfield and back line was 17 yards. That's a gulf. By comparison, Nashville's was 12.5 the other way, and even that is is above average. Um, Nashville was able to complete 25 progressive passes between the lines as a result of having so much space. And when Mukhtar and Lovitz received those passes, again, still citing the data that, that Matt Doyle discussed, the space they had to work with was in the 97th percentile of all MLS matches this season. Amazing stuff in that sense. Is this performance replicable? Um, Do you credit Nashville with doing something to stretch Atlanta's defense? Or is this a case of maybe a bunch of Atlanta players trying to impress Gonzalo Pineda in, in his first game as manager, getting forward, wanting to get involved in the attack, and just neglecting their defensive duties and therefore making it more of a one off? Yeah, I think it is worth noting. I'll be the cold water thrower this time that Atlanta is just kind of bad right now. They do have their positive attributes, but they don't necessarily have a cohesive tactical identity because it's only, you know, a couple games into Pineda's head coaching job now. And obviously they had the interim coach in between. So there's been too much transition for them to drill the same thing over and over again. However, they, they do want to hit on the counter themselves. That's the best way that you can use Joseph Martinez and Ezekiel Barco. Um, That leaves them exposed with those lines stretched. And that's exactly why you see Nashville able to complete those progressive passes, why you see them able to find that amount of space. Under Gary Smith, Nashville does counter as well, but it maintains its numerical balance. That's where that that 12.5 yard um, number that you mentioned comes into play. It's not it's not getting completely stretched because you're trying to throw numbers forward on the counter. So there will be other teams that can be exploited by it. Um, it's, it's among the many tactical ideas that can probably exploit FC Cincinnati, for example. But it's not going to be an every game thing where Nashville's going to be able to to do what they did on Saturday and find the same amount of success with it. Congratulations for beating Atlanta, Nashville. As your prize, you get to play one of the hottest teams in Major League Soccer. NYCFC is coming to town. First MLS meeting between the two clubs. Not the first meeting between Nashville SC and NYCFC. Those USL diehards will remember that before the second USL season, NYCFC came for a friendly at First Tennessee Park. And uh, really, the roster hasn't turned over a whole lot since then. Uh, Still a lot of the same guys on that team, and those guys have played the team to fourth in the East, just one point behind Nashville, but they do have a game in hand, so if you're going by points per game, they would actually be ahead of Nashville in the standings. They've lost just once in their last eight matches, and one of just three teams in the East that has outscored Nashville in season-wide goal count, and the only team 
in the East to allow fewer goals. Uh, quite frankly, this is a good NYCFC team that is playing some really good soccer at the moment. Yeah, I have it as, as the strongest team in the league per my power ratings that have had uh, New England Revolution fans throwing things in my virtual <laughs> direction for weeks. But uh, I think over the over the weekend, you saw that this New York City FC team made fairly easy work of New England Revolution, and it wasn't an anomalous performance. That's just kind of the way that this New York City FC team is. They are that good. So it's going to be a major, a major, 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 major task for Nashville, even at home, to be able to take a result, much less all three points. Don't make those Revs fans angry. It's dangerous to put yourself in front of projectiles thrown by uh, folks whose <laughs> who's, you know, stadium is named after a razor company. Well, and, and they, they have all those muskets up there. I don't know. Yeah, they get bent for sure. So for the funnier revolution joke there. Well, yeah, you know, the, there's quite an evolution in the revolution jokes. They just get lamer and lamer as we go. And <laughs> there is a group of people. There are a couple guys who are much better at making jokes than we are. You're going to be relieved to know, and you're going to say that's pretty much everybody. And you'd be right. But two guys who are particularly funny, and that's the Cooligans, a pair of NYCFC supporters who also happen to be comedians who have one of the best soccer podcasts that there is. We encourage you to check out the Cooligans. But you don't have to go far because we've got them here. Tim sat down with both members of the podcast in a great conversation about NYCFC and much, much more than that. Here is Tim's discussion with the Cooligans. We are very pleased to welcome two of the funniest guys out there. They host the funniest and gulliest soccer podcast that any of us have ever heard. It is Alexis Guerreros and Christian Polanco of Soccer Cooligans. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Sorry if, if you hear coffee being ground. <laughs> my, my fiance That's is making dog. coffee. That's it, yeah, uh, as, long as, don't get, as long as we don't get too much nutmeg going on. Yeah. <laughs> no, nutmeg is actually the one making the coffee. Uh, they are really good trainers. <laughs> well, let's get started talking a little bit about NYCFC and, and kind of how you guys came into it. Obviously, I'm Alexis. You are, are a very proud native of Newark and you talk about it regularly. And the other New York team is, is right around the corner there. How did each of you guys end up kind of becoming NYCFC guys when that club launched? You could start, Christian. Yeah, I mean, it was um, I, I used to go to like Metro Stars games and the occasional uh, uh, Red Bull game. But I never left the stadium being like, I'm a Rebel fan or I'm a MetroStars mm -hmm. fan and I am a supporter now. It was just like, it was a thing you did. But then when NYCFC started, I was a casual fan of the sport. That That, that is how I uh, consumed it. And then NYCFC began and I was like, oh, wow, there's like, they're building a supporters culture from the ground up. And once I saw that firsthand, I'm like, this is dope. I want to be a part of this. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Christian was casual enough that I'm like, this is someone I could speak to about the sport. Uh, you know, in comedy, there aren't a lot of people that are even open about being, you know, soccer fans. Like, they don't really talk about the sport. The closeted. Yeah. And then, like, every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Dortmund. I'm like, what? since when? We've mm -hmm. talked a million times. I've brought up soccer. You've never said anything. <laughs> but Christian was, like, more active. So him mm -hmm. and I always used to joke around and play FIFA. And then when the when the um, when NYCFC came out, we were like, I mean, it's close. It's close enough. And, like, I know people who are rebel fans I hate hearing this, but you don't have to swipe your Metro card twice, you know, which, you know, you do if you, it, cause it's a different train uh, system uh, mm -hmm. to get to Jersey. So you have to use the path. Uh, and it's just a lot longer to get back into the city. Whereas the Bronx, there's a bunch of express trains coming out of it. The four, the D um, you can catch the six. So, uh, you know, well, I guess you can't catch six, but anyway, long story short, <laughs> you can get to stand up. 
um, a lot easier. So mm-hmm. uh, being stand-up comics, if the game, if the team is playing at like 7 p.m. to 9, I could still potentially do a 9.30 spot or a 9.45 spot in the city, whereas if I was in Harrison, you wouldn't be able to do that. So being professional stand-up comics and that being the main thing, it was a lot easier and it made a lot more sense to be fans of NYCFC. Yeah, how did you guys kind of ultimately end up merging the two and, and essentially start a comedy podcast that's about soccer? How did you decide, hey, maybe the, the soccer side of things is has an opening for a comedy podcast? We, we didn't think of it as like, oh, this will be, you know, getting in on the ground floor kind of thing. We were like, uh, we have nothing to do. Um, <laughs> our, our comedy careers are, are, are you know, comedy is uh, doing stand up is simply just an everyday struggle. Mm-hmm. And and everybody's always trying to find their lane of where, you know, I, I, I see it as stand up is the is where is 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 our going to a university, going to school, getting that, getting educated on how to be funny in that, uh, just as a person, right. You, mm-hmm. you get to be uh, professionally funny, funny. And then everybody finds their lane. Some people go write for SNL. Some people go create their own sketch shows. Some people do whatever we were like, I was trying to, my dream was to like write for SNL. And then I was already kind of working, uh, doing like, um, like live sketch shows and, and, and trying to, uh, working on variety shows, I would, I would, I wanted to work on Daily Show. Nutmeg is Nutmeg has made an appearance. There it goes. Uh, and uh, so, at the time NYCFC started, we were talking about possibly doing some sort of soccer comedy project. A podcast was, was the simplest thing we knew how to do, and uh, and then and now here we are. Yeah, I think just to piggyback on what he said, I think whenever you're a comedian, you try to figure out. I had an agent a long time ago said, like, you know, what are you known for? within comedy like what's your other like what sets you aside from other comedians and i really didn't know how to answer it but he basically said like all right well if another comedian saw something and was like oh i got to talk to alexis about this or i have a question about something i need to alexis is the perfect person to answer this said what would that question or what would that topic be and i probably was like probably something about pizza or soccer and he was like all right well then that's who you are like that's the perception that's who you are go work on that if you're performing from seven to midnight every night then from midnight to seven you sleep you eat you know, uh, you do other stuff, right, uh, with, with your partner. And then you also work on pizza and soccer, like becoming more known in those worlds. So I already had it in my head that I wanted to do a podcast. And then when Christian and I started standing next to each other at the games and joking around, I was like, well, if people are laughing, we should probably just do this on a microphone because that's what we're most comfortable doing is talking into microphones. And from there, it blossomed into, I mean, in my, in my brain, I'm like, this could be either a complete waste of time or we're going to take over the world. Like, those are my two <laughs> that, those are my two ideas. And Christian was like, all right, let's try to find something in the middle. And uh, it just so happened that he was ready to kind of work on something, and I was prepared to work on something. And it kind of just worked out perfectly, timing-wise. Mm-hmm. Well, since you guys have have become, I guess, more known in, in not only the, the comedy soccer world, but the NYCFC world specifically, that's opened up some opportunities for you guys on that front. Um, most people don't have this experience. So what is it like to get out there and, and kick the ball around with active pro players and have them kind of <laughs> trying to teach you how to teach you how to hit some of those penalty kicks or whatever? There's it was literally embarrassing. Yeah, there's nothing comfortable about it. <laughs> there, you, there is a uh, honestly, they should have to get up on a show with us. 
<laughs> see yeah. how difficult it is to just jump in. <laughs> Get some crowd there's, work in, right? Yeah. yeah, there's some serious. Well, as soon as we stepped on the NYCFC training ground, there's like a a, a wave of imposter syndrome, <laughs> like hit in. Where you're like, whoa, I do not belong here. <laughs> Nothing. Also, they hated Christian because Christian looks like a trainee. He looks like <laughs> a trialist like coming in. <laughs> <laughs> me they were like this guy's i don't know why i don't know why the guy from the kitchen is on the field but for christian it was like who is that guy <laughs> yeah it's um i i think they're you know we've gotten to interview a lot of players and that in itself is already such a, a huge privilege and and it is exciting but definitely when you step you know in their in their place of work then you're like, okay, this feels a little different. Uh, so, I mean, we're all, we're honored to do that stuff. Those opportunities don't uh, come around uh, too often. So uh, we'll ju we just try to have the most fun while, while we're there. Right, let's talk a little bit of, of the on-field product for NYCFC. I think casual MF MLS fans probably know two names, first and foremost, uh, Maxi Morales and Tati Castellanos. First of all, are those the two guys that jump to your minds? And if, if not, who else is? And if so, what are kind of the things that if somebody knows the names but hasn't seen them play, um, they want to know about them before seeing NYCFC play? Um, That's a great question. I mean, the, the names that I mean, you know, I think every fan of every club is they have their 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 players that they love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, so the names I mean, for the names that pop out to, to for different people might be uh, like, uh, you know, it's subjective with every mm -hmm. person. I mean, for me, it's James Sands, but James Sands won't be playing in uh, the, the game against Nashville, which is a bit of a concern. Um, but I think there's a lot of a lot of guys that can that can step in and, and do uh, a, a pretty good job in that role. Um, but for me, yeah, the names that pop out are usually um Tati has been incredible especially the last couple games um also the who we were taking the free kicks with uh Goodman de Thorarenton had an incredible game he's the left back mm -hmm. uh, uh he had an incredible game against New England so he's uh, probably one of the names that that are climbing up my list at, at this point I'd also I you know Jesus Medina who mm -hmm. uh was a, a young uh, young DP, which again sounds like a, a rapper. They need to fix uh, <laughs> what they call these. Uh, young, young money, baby. Um, he's uh, is this, is this Sam and Paul or Alexis and Christian? Yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, young, yeah, money, right? young money. Uh, uh, shouts to those guys. They're absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, he came on and you know really big ticket uh, purchase. Um, and you know the first few seasons, I think people were labeling uh, him a bust, and you've really seen him uh, come into his own. And really started to take charge over the last few uh i would say the last year and a half probably actually since the the mls's back tournament is where we really saw him break out of that shell um and start to take uh be a bit more aggressive which is what we've always wanted um so i would say jesus medina always somebody to watch the way him and tati castellanos uh link up is always fun um and keaton parks um i think what keaton parks does is is just something that doesn't show up in the stat sheet and is just absolutely incredible the way he's able to draw defenders to him because he's so tall he's relatively quick as he's running and making those you know diverging angles you know um diverting angles i should say defenders are like wait we gotta we gotta monitor what that guy's about to do and i think that gives the additional space to someone like uh maxi morales to uh do what he does so yeah to me i would say um watch what jesus medina does because it's absolutely incredible and keep your eye on uh keaton parks if you can because it's a lot of fun to watch. It gives Maxi the space that he needs to do what he does great, uh, best.
Yeah, uh, Alexis, you mentioned another guy in there that uh, is, is important. And James Sands isn't the only guy who's not going to be available on that back line this weekend. Alexander Collins and Maxime Cheneau are, are also playing for their countries. Does NYCFC have an answer defensively without all those guys available? What do they what do you expect them to do? Is it going to just be a horror show for you guys watching? As long as it's not Callum Chambers at right back, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> I think it's go- this is um going to be that that first test especially after trading away uh sebastian abiaga to to lafc Mm -hmm. this is going to be uh a big challenge because there isn't uh, a wild amount of depth uh, at center back especially now um my best guess is that there's going to be some fullbacks that might have to uh step in at at uh at center back so this it's going to be uh a bit interesting obviously like uh, Chris Gloucester, yeah, so young guys. Tavon Gray, Tavon Gray will, is probably going to play left back, but uh, I, I'm I'm actually curious what the lineup is going to be, <laughs> just as much as you are. <laughs> well, yeah, you I mean guys, they've got they've sorry, got go guys like what is it, uh, Latinovich? Yeah, I mean these are these are you know players that don't often get a lot mm-hmm. of playing time. Although uh, Gray certainly has, uh, so I think in those opportunities you're going to see. Uh, a lot of you know you're gonna see a bit of a mishmash, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping maybe they go three, three at the back, and mm-hmm. you know just to give us a bit more in the midfield. Maybe they could bring in you know an additional uh, defensive midfielder. You know maybe uh, they can recall Justin Hawk from his loan. Well, style wise, what do you guys see when you watch this team? Is it is it kind of you know City Football Group through and through with the, the possession and all of that? Is it? Um, something a little bit different. What sort of team are our Nashville SC fans going to see in, in Nissan Stadium this weekend? Uh, yeah, p- possession. I mean, uh, you know, the, the game against the Revs, especially, I think, uh, brought a lot of confidence to to, to these players because they I mean, I, I was at the game and I'm like, I, I can't even really remember any reasonable possession that the Revs even had. This might have been NYCFC's best ever game this mm-hmm. season. Um, so but yeah, a, a lot, lots of possession. Dax McCarty is very familiar, obviously, with NYCFC, <laughs> a lot of history and really wants to beat them all the time. It yes. uh, doesn't matter what team he plays for. Um, he, uh, so that that is there's something to um, the, the NYCFC's midfielders are just so good at holding on to the ball. A guy like Keaton Parks, who's uh, what's he's like six, five mm-hmm. uh, and, and c- c- he could play the 10 if they really wanted him to. He can hold on to the ball uh, uh, so well. There, there's no. Um, there's, there's rarely mistakes, um, when it comes to possession of the ball, but the big issue for NYCFC this season is if they give up a goal first, if they give up a goal first, most teams know, okay, well, you're going to hold on to the ball, have it all you like. Uh, we're up one, uh, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll park <laughs> that bus and, and you can have 90% possession. We'll take the three points. So that is, is similar to what city deals with. If city gets scored mm-hmm. on first. They have a really tough time uh, coming back for the same exact reason Christian just said. Yeah. His teams are like, whatever, we got one up on you. Now we're just going to sit. We're going to park. Um, <laughs> although if they score once on you, they seem to score four more. Um, and that hurts <laughs> as an Arsenal fan. Uh, <laughs> but I think when it comes to what Nashville's going to see, I think mm-hmm. it's I, I'm I'm interested because I don't know how it's going to work with, with the back line that we're going to have to put, uh, piece together. But like Christian said, it's going to be one of those things where like our midfield is going to try to hold on to the ball as much as possible. And we have super dangerous forwards. Mm-hmm. So if we get an opportunity, I mean, if you look at the stats, 
rarely passes a game where, uh, you know, NYCFC doesn't average somewhere between 17 to 21 shots. You know, it's can they put them on frame? You know, like, mm-hmm. our, you know, Arsenal. <laughs> NYCFC are going to get the <laughs> opportunities. NYCFC are going to get the chances at your goal. Can they put it on frame? And if they do, it's it's an easy three points for NYCFC every time. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Arsenal a couple times there. It must be noted that NYCFC is actually towards the top of the table, not literally at the very bottom of it. Just so, <laughs> just so you know, there, Alexis. Yeah, I'm gonna cry <laughs> as soon as we log on. Well, you, uh, Christian mentioned Dax McCarty. If if he and Alex Mwil, um both manage to score, will you guys have nightmares, or is it okay until it gets to seven? Is that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's. Uh, I didn't think we were gonna be sandbagged so hard uh, when we coming on I to this show. Coming, but I didn't think he would. You know, uh, you know I'm like. Like, you're a national fan. How do you know about that? You know, <laughs> uh, look, I, I like that. Um, there is that history, even mm-hmm. with the former former Red Bull uh, uh, players. Mm-hmm. The uh, it, it's look, this season has been. I watched a couple Nashville matches. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? How are they this good? <laughs> this is this is a second season, none of this makes sense. Um, so it, it's uh, it, it's impressive uh wait this is their second season right i'm not crazy okay okay. i'm like you know who knows what happened last year uh (laughs) buddy make it up no one listening knows (laughs) but yeah even like but i'm i'm so impressed especially with cj sapong uh we we were we we spoke to him when he was still with the fire um Mm -hmm. and and they let him go like oh this this guy has no future in this league anymore Mm -hmm. and he has been lighting it up he's just the he he has a a such a clear defined role as being this like hold up guy um, that I think hasn't really been the case since he was even like at Philly where it's, it's really uh, uh, we're almost like CJ Sapong and Tati Castellanos are kind of playing the same role in throw the ball up to him. He'll control it and, and lay it off to any of the midfielders mm-hmm. co- uh, coming forward. Uh, so that, that has been cool to see. And I think he, especially with, since we won't have Chanel and Collins, I, th- that's probably one of the players I, I'm I'm a little worried about scoring against us. He's also just one of those guys that has a nose for goal. You mm-hmm. know, even in the beginning of, uh, of his career through now, he's just one of those guys that has, you know, he's he's a heat seeking missile. He's dead set yeah. on uh, on putting his uh, you know, putting his eyes on goal and at least putting a shot on frame. So I, again, with a backline, if if we have a backline that isn't uh, you know, well tested or isn't <laughs> playing well together, CJ Zapong might be the one guy in the league <laughs> I'm most worried about going up against because he knows how to confuse a defender. He knows how to play off their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll shift gears a little bit, kind of getting ready to close it out here. Um, in many MLS markets and honestly in the league at large. Uh, especially early on, it's getting a little bit better, but Nashville specifically suffered from this. There's kind of a dearth of Latino voices, especially among guys who aren't former players um, for listeners who do not listen to the Cooligans. First of all, what are you doing listening to this show and not listening to the Cooligans? Alexis is proudly Cuban, uh, Christian proudly yep. Dominican. Um, I thought you said probably. Maybe I am. <laughs> but do you guys do you guys feel a responsibility or or maybe a privilege as as Latino voices in in Major League Soccer to kind of represent a little bit? Um, that it's part of when we started the show, we said, you know, if people don't understand, like Latino voices are so split because it's a bunch of different countries that speak Spanish. Yeah. Um, so being Caribbean, I think, is really important for mm-hmm. us. Uh, being Latino first, of course, is is giving that voice and that side of of that side of fandom. Uh, even something like MLS, which is like traditionally 
the fan base that I've noticed is a very suburban. Yeah. Um, Christian and I being like me being from North Christian being from Brooklyn, that voice as well. And then on top of that, being Caribbean, I'm Cuban, he's Dominican, two countries that don't play soccer. Probably we're probably that. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if they don't really play soccer, so get adding that voice to it. You know, countries that don't traditionally really get themselves involved in the conversation and having that fandom be represented. So we like to think we hit a couple of different notes within that Latin community that are segments that maybe have been underserved or mm -hmm. underrepresented. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, like we when we were at MLS All-Star, we did a, a, a live show uh, with a, a Mexican soccer show. We were, we were mm -hmm. guests on their show. And that is, there's also, there's a little bit of a feeling like, oh, we, you know, we have to, kind of this is within american soccer where you have to yeah. like prove your soccer fandom or your soccer knowledge mm -hmm. but then as as latinos who are not mexican even two mexicans were like no we know what we're talking we, we kind of know we're, we're, we're fans too so <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. always this this um these barriers of entry whether they're intentional or not um that we kind of have to go through but that makes it kind of uh fun and and we also don't pretend to be experts in anything we, we are uh, we are comedians first. We always tell people, like, if you're not laughing during our show, we're doing our job wrong. Um, mm -hmm. So that part of it is uh, like, I mean, and coincidentally, like we on on Saturday, we are hosting uh, uh, a Gotham FC match. Mm -hmm. it, it's going to be Latinx night and we're, we're going to be like the in-stadium host for that day. So for an opportunity uh, for us to to uh, present itself and get to do something like that, it, it is an absolute honor. It is uh, super cool. Um, but it's also like, you know, it, it isn't a something that we feel sort of responsible for, but it is it's just like we're living our lives. Yeah. And and sometimes people are like super into it. And, and sometimes you know, people are like uh, other other Hispanic kids are like, oh, that's, that's so cool that that's a job. Like nobody right. thought that <laughs> two comedians could get to where, where they are now. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the fact that one, one thing a, a couple of years ago, I went to a, a CONCACAF Champions League game in Dominican Republic. A Dominican team made it out of the Caribbean Championship to play in CCL and Cibao uh, FC, which is where my family's from in Dominican Republic. And now I have like a relationship with the team and they like they send us kids. Uh, um, and they always they, like when they see the kid on the TV show, they're like, this is so cool that, uh, you know, other Dominicans are like, we're on American television. This is crazy. Um, so be, being able to give like the Caribbean nations in CONCACAF a little bit of recognition is uh, a really, really cool thing. And they really, really appreciate it because they, they're trying to grow the, 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 the way we're trying to grow MLS in the United States and, and American soccer and make it relevant. Com compared to the other sports in the Caribbean, they're fighting the same exact fight, but against like baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so right. they feel they're in the same exact battle for, for eyeballs that, that we are. And it's, it's awesome to be able to help it, uh, them in that way too. Yeah, you uh, mentioned something there that I'll slide in one last question. Cause it is something that interests me uh, with Gotham FC. You guys are huge ND NWSL supporters, huge supporters of women's soccer. What inspired you guys to kind of, you know, get behind it so hard uh, when you get when most podcasts probably are talking primarily about men's soccer in this country. I think when we started, we just said we want to build the fandom of the sport of soccer. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're both the same way. You know, we're both very respectful. And, and you know, we like to treat anyone who's in front of us as long as they're a good person, you know, equal. Uh, so when it came time to when we started the show, we really didn't have a strong foothold on what was happening in women's soccer outside of like the women's national team and stuff like mm -hmm. that. The stuff that was very obvious and very easy to watch. 
So we kind of made it a, a part of the show to try to learn more. And I think when we started, Christian had didn't have a Premier League team yet. So, you know, on the show, we like went through what teams he should pick. And it was between Arsenal and Everton. And I'm sorry to say he made the right choice. Uh, <laughs> when it came to women's soccer, I think at the same time, we were like, how do we how can we help build that side of it? We brought on experts at the time, uh, you know, journalists and really learned along along while they were speaking with the fans and then as we sort of got into that world a little more and met uh some incredible folks like meg linehan and and so on who who take a really really uh you know concerted effort on to to be great journalists and focus on the sport we became bigger fans of it and now you know it's like we we can't wait to to help to go to the next gotham fc match and we can't wait to to have uh you know a women's soccer player on the show because especially you know some of our best Episodes have been Allie, Allie and Ashlyn, Allie when she was on her own. Uh, before that, when we met her at the coach's convention, Megan Rapino. I mean, some of the best interviews we've ever done have been some of these women soccer players. So it's like we can't wait to talk to more and more of them. Yeah. And from an from an entertainment standpoint, uh, we've always said this. The women soccer players are, are always so much more wildly entertaining than the majority of the men's players. Mm -hmm. So it's there's so much personality. Uh, um, and, and and as far as a a comedy show, uh, there's a certain level of comfort that that is usually there with the women's players that kind of isn't there with the men's players or it has to be like the rapport has to be built. I can't explain why, um, but but the, the fact that a lot of the women's players really appreciate, you know, we, we talk to players that are superstars, some players that maybe don't get a ton of playing time and both the same. There's a level of comfort, confidence, and they 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 all know they're all a part of the same thing where they're like, look, if I'm on the show, then, you know, this might help propel the game, get more people interested, get, uh, you know, young kids into the into the game. Like at, we were at the Gotham FC game last night against Orlando Pride, and I can't even, they must the fans must have stayed there an extra hour just hoping to get an autograph. You do not really see that uh, at MLS matches. And it was I mean, it wasn't like a couple of fans. It was like a thousand fans waiting to hopefully get an autograph so it felt yeah. like more fans were there for that than the game right like, <laughs> like, they, going, like, they love <laughs> they the, these uh the, the nwsl players are are heroes to to so many and and i think if more people just either went to the games and got to experience that they really would understand that they that that a, a lot of the players now that are not making a ton of money are trying to set uh, a standard and, and pave the way for for future generations of players to to be more uh, uh, respected, whether that's financially or, uh, you know, just uh, just in life, in their careers. Um, so th that's that part of it was not the plan when we started yeah. talking to uh, women's soccer players. But that it's been a cool thing to be a part of and help grow. All right. One last one for you guys. It's a layup. Don't worry. Taylor Ham or pork roll. <laughs> ah, let's go Taylor Ham. What do you know about Taylor Ham and Pork Roll? <laughs> I'll be honest, most of what I know about Taylor Ham and Pork Roll I learned from listening to you guys. <laughs> okay. Good. I mean, uh, you know what? I'm trying to spread that fandom as well. So. <laughs> I don't I don't eat either. That's my that's my feeling. So I'm going to I'm going to have to make some Taylor Ham egg and cheeses for Christian. Maybe uh you know the next time but the next time we do an episode together, I'm going to I'm a chef. I've had it I've had it once. I've had nah, it once. I feel like you didn't try it, correct? Matt Matt Turner from the Revolution. He I live in his hometown, and he was like, "Go to this place and have it." And I was like, "All right." 
It's it's very salty ham. That's that's my take on it. <laughs> Thank you for calling it ham. <laughs> All right, well, Christian, Alexis, thank you guys so much for joining us. They are the hosts of the Soccer Cooligans, the funniest, gulliest, et cetera, podcast any of us have ever heard. Thank you, guys. Thanks so thank much. Thank you. Tim, a really substantive discussion there that was uh, not, not low on entertainment value, certainly. Alexis and Christian will be the first to tell you that they are not big tactics guys. They're, they're not visiting clubcountryusa.com as frequently as all of our, our listeners probably are. But these are two extremely funny dudes. Two extremely gully dudes. It's never been quite clear what gully actually means, but um, many thanks to Alexis and Christian for coming on because it was a great time chatting with them. And that was not the only interview that we have for you today. Let's uh, move seamlessly into Braden Gall's discussion with Tennessee Titans linebacker Jayon Brown. There are some great relationships between professional athletes and professional clubs in this city. Jayon Brown, uh, he loves Nashville SC, and Braden Gall sat down with him last week on the 440, which is a daily podcast. Comes out Monday through Friday every week and gives you all the info you need on sports in Nashville. He talked with Jayon Brown a little bit about football. We cut that part out. And then more about <laughs> football and how he fell in love with the game and what he thinks of Nashville SC. Enjoy Braden's discussion with Jayon Brown. I remember um, in elementary school, we had a, a YMCA program after school and we used to play soccer. After school, like every day, I'm sweating in my uniform clothes, but it's after school, so mom was too hot about that. But um, going into college, I, I really connected with it more. Um, my boy um, is from Nigeria. Shout out to my boy Caleb uh, from UCLA. And um, he, we, everybody used to play at FIFA like in, the, in our locker room. And I'm like, man, what are, what are y'all playing? Like, I didn't know about FIFA. And, and so I was just watching dudes play and I was like, all right, let me, let me try playing. I, I was getting dogged on the game for a couple <laughs> month or two, like six, oh, seven, oh, like it, it was bad. Like it was bad. And like, I didn't know about the like European league and, and uh, like they were playing with like Barcelona back when Messi was on uh, on there and, and Ronaldo with Real Madrid and and uh, so I'm like all right like I want to play with like the best team so like what's like a team that's like dope that you know I, I that vibe so I like went around with some teams hopping on the game and um, and I vibed with PSG back when uh, uh, time was on there. And I was like, all right. So after, you know, after that first experience, like in the, in, in the dorm rooms playing FIFA, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to buy the game. So I bought the game and dedicated a lot of my free time to, <laughs> to skill moves, doing doing everything. I was still getting whooped on, but I got so good where I'm, I'm top tier in, in my friend group of, of FIFA. And uh, even the uh, past couple of years um, here, like bring FIFA in the locker room and, playing guys i think to still to this day i'm the best fifth player in this in this locker room but shots, uh shots fired <laughs> but uh that ultimately uh like i've been following psg since back since college and um now you got so messy back, now you got yeah, messy. Now, now we got messy i was people people think i've been uh the people that didn't know me back then they think you know i'm, I'm making transition with messy but i've been with psg um <laughs> back when uh I believe 20, 2020 before before the COVID outbreak and all that, I was in uh, Paris and I got a chance to go to the PSG game out there uh, for my birthday. So that, that was an amazing trip. They won too, but um, got got a jersey and all. Seen uh, Neymar, Bappe, uh, Damria, like like it was a dope experience. And, and PSG is my team. They've been my team for years, and and uh, 
Yeah, but I, I fell in love with uh, soccer really in uh, college. Do, so obviously, I'd like to to talk about why you kind of are. You're clearly a fan, and Nashville SC coming to coming to, to market gives you an outlet for that because then you get to be a part of it. And we'll get to sort of why you wanted it to be, you know, the uh, you know kind of rallying the team in the stadium. But it does getting to go to a match in France. And, and, and actually seeing the vibes of those stadiums and the way those fans are like, there's gotta be some similar vibes to a European soccer match to that of like football in the South, whether it's the Titans, whether it's college, whatever, do you see like some of this, are there similarities there that you see the passion of people in Europe watching soccer matches versus football here? Oh yeah. Most definitely. Uh, diehards, like diehards, like the stadium, like, like, um, they got a fan section, like, um, like, like we all do, but like, Jumping, going nuts, shirts off. I think the game I went to, it was, it was like drizzling like a little bit. I'm talking fans like painted faces, painted body, like going nuts the whole game, like big energy, loving, like just loving the experience and like the transition from like that to like football. Like, like it's still there. It's the same, same experience. Uh, I think our, I think our stadiums are, holds more people though, but um it was it was an amazing experience like that that was definitely a highlight in life so far that going to that game yeah no question about that i I, me and my wife have never even been to europe at any point in our lives so i I, i'm very jealous nashville sc comes to to town that we we know they're going to be an mls team so it's not epl it's not la liga it's not you know psg like you're used to as a fan but it is the highest level of soccer in in america and now we've got a, a team here do you feel like an obligation as a fan? Is that why you're out there doing that? Is because you want to help with the team or is it just pure passion? Is it pure love? Like, why do you want to be involved with Nashville SC? I was pure. It was pure passion. Um, before the, the year they first got out, uh, the team got out here um, before the year before they made it into the NLS. I don't know what division they're in, but it was before they got into the MLS. Um, they were playing at the sound stadium in I was going to the games over there when we were playing in the uh, baseball stadium and you're just watching the game. I, I just enjoy the, I love the sport. The skill level I think of it is, is just amazing. Like they're like, it's, they're crossing people over with their feet, like the strikes they're making, like from outside the box is, is, is crazy. Even the headers too. Like I just respect the skill level of it so much. And that's what fascinates me. And, and there's so many different guys with different moves and the defense as well of it. Like it, it, it's, it, the game, the whole game, like fascinates me, and, and I love it. Did you ever consider taking off your shirt and pouring beer on yourself while at the match? <laughs> I did not. I did not. But there's definitely a time and place for that, though. Okay. <laughs> all right. MLS Championship. I mean, they're the MLS Cup. Are you? Are you okay with maybe go? Who knows? Like, why not? I think that that's definitely yeah. yeah, yeah. The okay. team's doing on fire right now, so why not? I like it. You heard it here first, folks. Um, how many other players? Like, are, how how popular is soccer and Nashville SC in the Titans locker room? We've seen, you know, Titans and Preds as like sort of a collection working together to kind of grow the brands and the sport and the passion of the fans. Like, do you, are there who are the guys in in the Titans locker room that are alongside you in, in sort of their passion for for soccer and for Nashville SC? I'm gonna say for sure all the specialists for sure. Me and Kern talk talk soccer all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time but I'm, I'm sure there's some more guys in here that that love soccer um that i'm not thinking names not thinking of but i know me and Sh- uh kern are always constantly talking soccer and just like, oh you see this game you see this game showing highlights to each other i even show how like if it comes out on like the beacher report on uh on like instagram like i'm dming my boys about it so uh 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very up to date on on the soccer world right now. Do, do you think that would have been that way in like night in an NFL locker room, like in 1997 or something like that? Do you think it would have been? Man, who knows? Who knows? Um, like from from talking to like my boys that's been watching soccer longer than I have, um, just hearing about like all the old school players and now look them up and watch their highlights, they're just dancing with the ball, like tossing the ball over like people's heads and just these these crazy shots. Um, I'm what I'm what I'm really like sick about is I didn't really. I wish I knew soccer a little earlier when I was. Uh, it was still while I was probably in college, but. When uh, Barcelona had had Messi, Neymar, and Suarez, good God! Because I heard they they were just crazy, like just like dominating the game. So I'm mad I missed I missed those days those days and, and growing up with uh, Ronaldinho and and all those dudes. But uh, soccer, like it's so many it's so many guys that are that are so talented all around the world and in like each division of, of the sport and and now PSG's loaded with talent and. I'm expecting the Champions League's coming soon, so I'm excited for that. Came up short last year, but I know this is the year for sure. Well, I'll, I'll let you go on this. Do you do you find did you grow up watching the U.S. Men's National Team like the same way you watch club soccer as well? Like, do you have that same passion? Uh, more 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 so now. Uh, I keep up with the with the men's team. They they got some, they got some dudes on there. They got some dudes. Uh, Polshik, uh, McKenzie. Um, yeah. playing out some names but they got they got they got to do it's got a really good team it, it's fun it's fun to see a, a young core like that learning how to win like it's it's a little bit like a little bit like the team you play for man a little bit like the team you play for <laughs> hey th- thank you so much for giving us some of your time we do appreciate it and uh, uh obviously looking looking forward to you on sundays at nissan stadium and maybe on saturdays at nissan stadium as well so we appreciate oh, yeah. it thank you buddy go, go nashville <laughs> <laughs> thank you jayon thank you Oh, that was great. It's it's always good to hear the respect that that professional athletes have for each other's sports. I know early on, Philip Forsberg was a huge Nashville SC uh, fan mm-hmm. as well. Uh, of course, you know when you have Europeans coming in who appreciate yeah. um, soccer, then uh, then you've got that uh, that love of the game kind of built in and that mutual respect. Yeah, a lot of listeners probably know that I, I am in football professionally, and I would say the the majority of football players maybe do not have the same respect for their local MLS team uh, that Jayon Brown does. So so savor a guy like Jayon and, and hope he has a great season with the Titans. Yeah, so let's get to the mailbag now, and let's let's stay on kind of a football angle, um, a, a college football angle in this case, as we got a tweet uh, from Big Orange Hypel. Now, this is a guy who hypes up, pun very much intended, Tennessee football. There's not a lot of reason to hype up Tennessee football, and so he's uh, reached over and, and gotten involved in the soccer community as well here in, in Nashville. Um, he asks us, for a somewhat soccer noob like myself and seeing Nashville SC third in the conference, what do I need to know? I need some cliff notes. And so I'll ask, you know, you or maybe offer up here in a minute, my one sentence elevator pitch for this club, but going a little deeper than that, as they say, every podcast is somebody's first. So if, if a newbie is listening, what do you want them to know about this team, Tim? Yeah, I think the, the way to look at it is, is where that third in the Eastern conference kind of puts them at the end of the year, the top seven teams in each conference make the playoffs. First place gets a buy and two through four host first round playoff games against five through seven. So that's the big picture contextualizing what that third place standing right now means. Um, so this is a team performing at a high level. And uh, over the past two years, the defense has been and will be strong. And the attack has really become one of the league's most exciting. So the UT fan uh, might not be so pleased with this analogy. <laughs> but but Nashville SC is kind of like when Alabama had that strong defense that they always have under Nick Saban. And they added 
um, with, which they've maintained through multiple quarterbacks. Now, when they added Jalen Hurts, it added a completely different dimension offensively to that Alabama team. Now, Nashville SC is not going to go just pound everybody like Alabama often does, and, and specifically to Tennessee. But stylistically, Thanks. Thanks. it's a great team. And it's an improving quality-wise, too. I used to be able to trash talk in college football. <laughs> Uh, been neutered for the past decade or listen, so. Listen, listen, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Michigan guy, so there's still plenty of room even for UT here. You get, that's fair. Joe Milton will be starting at quarterback after spending last year starting for Michigan. That's right, so. and getting yanked from that job after uh, throwing about as many ints as he did touchdowns. But hopefully in Knoxville with uh, you know a junior varsity offensive line, he can do he can do something. Uh, <laughs> we are both huge college football junkies, so if you guys ever want to talk football with us, we we uh, we got you. Uh, my elevator pitch: one sentence for a long sentence, of course, because I'm not size for Nashville SC would be if, if you're new to it, but you're a Nashville sports fan, they overachieve like the Predators usually do. They are overlooked like the Titans often are, and they're overflowing with culture like a college football team not named Vanderbilt. <laughs> so not Nashville. Uh, my team. elevator ride was much longer than yours. I was I was going to the top of the Willis Tower. You were going to somewhere else. Yeah, which offers assists now. Um, if you, if you <laughs> hey, look at us. Look at us. Full circle. Uh, Brian Wilson offered a comment. Despite Gary Smith not always doing what either the public or the pundits want, you have to give him high marks, especially against better teams and in tougher environments. A bit of a backhanded compliment, but I think a genuinely meant by, by Brian, who's followed this club very closely. And, and Logan mm-hmm. Elliott has a, a question that dovetails pretty well off that. He says, Coach Gary seems to have no qualms about rotating, changing the formation, putting players in different positions, such as Lovett's on the right. Do you think that some of Nashville's success is down to opposing teams, Tim, just not knowing how Nashville's going to set up? Yeah, first of all, shout out to both of these guys. Brian met at a Loudoun United game uh, two years ago now. Uh, me, him, and Clay were the, were the Nashville representatives uh, not on the pitch there. And, and, of course, to Logan always uh, bringing us good questions too. But I think I think some of the, the confusion that opposing coaches might see you know, when the, when the first ball is kicked might not be the most important part of it. It's obviously much more difficult for, for the fan or for the person who's not, um, you know, kind of knowing exactly what to expect, but the, the overall structure doesn't change too much for Gary Smith. It's going to be two holding midfielders and, and when available, that's Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy. It's going to be a creative number 10 as, as centrally as possible. Obviously, Hani Mukhtar and Randall Leal have had their chances in that role. The rest of the, the setup around them is what can change a little bit. And then it's more tweaked than anything. There's not really a wholesale change. Yes, the difference between a back four and a back five is it feels significant, but really it's I think it's more about those two holding midfielders to shield them. So it's it is those little tweaks like we talked about with Atlanta that are are the bigger thing. And and I think Smith seems to get it right way more often than he gets it wrong. And you can't say that about a ton of coaches inside this league. So to to kind of crystallize that a little bit, there's a difference between the tactical, which would be game to game tweaks, and the philosophical, which largely remains mm-hmm. um, the same. And and you know, I almost went on a principles. on a rant about that when you were talking about the form- formation above. We don't need <laughs> we don't need to to fill our listeners' ears with, with that right now. Yeah, that's that's completely fair. I would go back though, and I would attribute at least nine points this season to the tactical part of that, to the game to game tweaks. Um, again, within that larger philosophy that remains somewhat consistent. Mm-hmm. I think that against New England, the debut of that 4-4-2 is the first time Nashville employed that. And the press that came with that, having the extra forward up there and the extra punch. I mean, you saw Alex Mouille score off a giveaway in New England's own third. I think um, generally Bruce Arena did not find an answer to that particular tweak. Um, Philadelphia, the move to a three-man back line to counter the 4-4-2 diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw Nashville score early in that. I think 
good MLS teams are going to adjust to what you're doing tactically, no matter what it is, within 15, 20 minutes. But that goal came within the first like five. So I think there was there was a bit of a surprise factor there. And then Atlanta, Lovett's on the right, and the ability for Nashville to find the space that Atlanta was giving them. Um, I would I would say a tougher argument to make there, but at least six points I think this season have come uh, primarily from the, the tactical game-to-game tweaks. Um, that, that Gary Smith has made. I think he deserves credit, certainly, for mm-hmm. um, for getting it right most of the time. And even, you know, tweaks that, that resulted in less exciting, you know, scores, going to New England and getting the scoreless draw, going to Columbus and getting the scoreless draw. I mean, those were the result of, of Gary Smith deciding he was going to shoot for that one point and take the three if it happened to come his way. And I think tactically he set the team up to do just that. John Mueller, uh, regular uh, question asker, another good one here. Do you see? Shout out to John because he said he appreciates me. So I I appreciate you back, John. Big thumbs up for you. And despite that lapse in judgment, you continue to ask great questions. So, um, you know, get it right (laughs) most of the time. Uh, Do you see Alistair, he asks, switching to right center back more often? And again, Alistair usually plays right back in the the three-man slash five-man. He's usually at the right wing back. He moved to right center back. Um, do we see that happening more often or only against, shall we say, less vertically blessed teams? And also uh, a follow-up, can we give Mike Jacobs a shout-out for this roster build? Sure, he's had some misses, but overall, even I can't complain right now. Yeah, I think it'll remain a, a tool in the belt or, or bullet in the chamber, whichever tortured analogy you want to use. But it's going to be, I think, a rarely used one that's only for specific instances. And I don't, I think it's less about the height because Al- Alistair is center back size. He's taller than me. I'm, I'm six feet tall and he's, he's definitely taller than me. That's, you know, adequate at the very least for the position. But I think what made it such a good choice for Atlanta was that they had so much technical ability on the left side of their attack that putting him on the right side as a center back who has the fullback skill set, Jack Mayer just doesn't yet have the experience and athleticism to handle guys like Marcelino Moreno and the Joseph Barco combo on that left side when they combine like that. So being able to have Johnston in those specific instances is obviously very good. It might not be broadly applicable to a lot of games, though. And nothing really substantive to add to that point, but we'll say he'll get three more chances um, before he plays for Nashville again to continue to gain experience at that right center back spot. That's mm-hmm. where he primarily plays for Canada and has played um, nearly every minute for Canada of World Cup qualifier. Sorry, of Gold Cup action. Um, yeah, of World Cup qualifying as well for them back in the uh, in the early stage that they had to play. Yeah. So um, certainly, I think he's gaining confidence and composure in that role. He is an option to turn to for sure. I like him as an option uh, moving forward. Uh, but again, Jack Mayer is going to get a chance to get more experience in yeah. that uh, three-man, most likely, uh, while Alistair is gone here uh, for the next few games. As for Mike Jacobs, let's look at where the other expansion teams of the last five years stand right now. And, and this was something I was reminded of as I sat back and watched Austin lose in an awesome atmosphere uh, there at their home ground. Mm-hmm. Give up five goals in a, in a derby. Their 12th place in the West, just one from bottom. Um, Miami built a brand, not a team, as uh, we cited in the Paul Tenorio uh, article. They're playing better now, but uh, nobody would mistake them for a viable, um, successful expansion yeah. product at this point. FC Cincinnati, I know we don't need to say anything there uh, to compare them, but just just for fun, they've scored 13 fewer goals than Nashville this season, allowed 17 more than Nashville has, including, of course, the 3-2 Nashville uh, just a few weeks ago. Even LA six-pointer. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, even LAFC in Atlanta, which I think have been extremely successful, and and I think who Nashville still exp- aspires to be in a lot of ways from a success mm-hmm. standpoint, if not from a financial investment standpoint, 
Nashville's playing better than them this year. 11th in the West are LAFC. The metrics like them, but Nashville scored six goals more than LAFC has this year. And Atlanta, unbeaten in three against them uh, this year and eight points ahead of them now in the standings. So when you compare Nashville's expansion build, especially mm-hmm. those first three, which I think are much better comps, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's head and shoulders, and it reminds you of how tough this really is. Yeah, you and I have both been very clear on this pod about how we feel – Mike Jacobs has done in his in his role, and that's very good. It's it is important to me- remember, like like John mentioned, that he doesn't always get it right. Yeah. I think David Akam and Jimmy Madrondo ended up being bad signings for reasons other than their ability. Both of them suffered through injuries while they were here in Nashville. Miguel Nazari was was just a, tr- a straight up scouting whiff to date, at least. He still is not playing regularly for his club back in Colombia, but getting the important ones right more often than not is a huge priority. And, um, you know, you mentioned that Austin, Miami and Cincinnati were the, were the more applicable standards of comparison. I think this appears to be more successful than them. Yes. And it, at this point, knock on wood a little bit, but it looks more sustainable than the, than the kind of flash in the pan success that Atlanta and LAFC have had, mm-hmm. which might have been cult, cults of personality around individuals, whether that's Joseph Martinez, Carlos Vela, even Tata Martino for Atlanta United. Nashville may not have that sort of like very, very, very top end uh, ability to, to go change the world or something like that. But it does seem like they're going to be much better over any given, you know, five or six year stretch than any of the teams that have come in kind of in the same timeline as them. And while it's fun to see Nashville starting to get some credit at a national level, finally, I think the, the biggest disservice that Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith did for the team's public reputation, not for the club itself, was that they were pretty good right away. <laughs> and so people just kind of raised the level of expectation for Nashville, and it exists at a higher plane than it even did for Miami, uh, I think in, in some ways at least, until Miami just totally busted. Uh, I think people believed that Miami would eventually turn it around when they invested the way they did, and that was the worst possible approach it turns out to take. Uh, and it's going to hamstring them now from a rules standpoint as well. Well, let's go outside in, and there's really just one topic to discuss here, but but a big ripple effect from it uh, for the U.S. and for Nashville SC, and that is the country part of club and country. Tim, it's World Cup qualifying as the U.S. men's national team goes to El Salvador, plays Canada right here in Nashville, and then visits Honduras. Three huge matches to get things started. There's no Mexico involved. There's no Costa Rica, who's been the other regional power, at least in recent uh, qualifying cycles. With that in mind, how many points do you expect out of this first series of matches? Seven. Okay. Okay, so I think I think three points from El Salvador is a must. Uh, I know it's a difficult situation going down to Central America for the first time in any given cycle, but this is a bad El Salvador team. And then yeah. if you win that game, uh, if you uh, split a, a win and a draw, whether home against Canada, if you, if you suffer a draw there and then turn around and win in Honduras, or if you manage to hold off Canada... And then set, kind of settle for a draw in Honduras. I think that's that's the expectation. Uh, what is not out of the question is either five or nine points. And I think I would lean towards nine being more likely than five. But I'm getting off to a start with seven points. You're you're almost a third of the way to to feeling pretty good about qualifying for the World Cup. I think 23 is about what you need to get to 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 feel like you're going to finish in fourth. So uh, if if this window goes as expected, it's it should be pretty positive. And that's 14 matches the U.S. will play between now and late March next year. I believe the, the last set of matches might even be on my anniversary. So we're going to see how we spend that. Plenty of time to, to figure that out. Um, that's a bit of a dilemma already that I'll be thinking through, as well as the fact that I have a Canadian wife uh, and Canada has a heck of a team. 
I would say, though, it feels more likely to me that the U.S. would beat Canada and then drop points at Honduras just because it is so tough to go down to Central America mm-hmm. in, the, in that heat, in those environments. Um, and I think Canada's got a heck of a team, a better roster than Honduras. Yeah. But that road trip, third match in three, um, that's going to be a brutal test. It'll be interesting to see how the other teams handle this break because if you consider the United States to be the one that all three of those squads feel like they they might not do the best against in this window. Do some of them rotate against the United States in hopes of picking off the other two and setting themselves up for the future success? There's a lot of game theory that you can play out in terms of exactly what is going to happen, not just in terms of every team rolling out the ball and playing their best 11 because that's not going to happen, but how they rotate their squads. And it all starts on Thursday, this September 2nd, when the U.S. goes to El Salvador. There are four Nashville SC players who will be taking part in World Cup qualifying here in CONCACAF. Nobody else um, is going to be called. Yonder Cadiz did not get the call for Venezuela. Ake Loba looks like will not get called for Ivory Coast at this point at least. So Walker Zimmerman for the U.S., Alistair for Canada, Godoy for Panama, Leal for Costa Rica, the four names we're used to hearing get called. thought we would just take a second and, and play a little game and rank these four players in terms of a few different categories. Number one is importance to their teams. Which Nashville SC player, in your opinion, is the most important and then ranging down to the least important for their respective uh, international teams? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty difficult because some of these guys are at very, very, very different points in their careers. So I am going to start with Alistair Johnston. He's played every competitive minute for Canada pretty much over multiple tournaments this summer. Going next to Randall Leal, uh, Costa Rica is quite bad. Uh, they have been even worse without him. And then um, Walker Zimmerman, obviously important to the United States, but there's a lot of center back depth in this camp right now. And then Anibal Godoy, only because at his age, he's kind of a rotation player for Panama rather than the locked in starter that he's been in every match over the past, you know, three or four cycles. He's a guy who's kind of on the way out and they're trying to groom a replacement for him. And I ranked Godoy first only, only because I think, you know, he's been around that locker room so much that Mm -hmm. it's more of a unifying, you know, influence and, and leadership Mm -hmm. factor. Certainly on field. I would, I would agree with you. um, Hey, you know me, I, I, I I gave the cynical field only perspective (laughs) to a previous, to a previous talking point. So here I am. (laughs) Fair enough. Hey, you're consistent. I had Leal second as well. He did not play in the gold cup. He, his wife had just given birth and uh, he stuck around. I think uh, there may have been some timing issues with getting into camp. There's Mm -hmm. a new manager. So he's, in for the first time under that new coach i think number, he's number two i can't argue with johnston i've got him number three for for the other reasons i mentioned there for each of those guys but he's he's crucial for this canadian team and then walker fourth you know he, he's a rotation center back should hopefully get an opportunity with with three games in quick succession it's funny to me that that alistair and walker will be in nashville likely you know watching that friday night game against nycfc but not taking part as they'll be squaring off against each other just two nights later uh, importance of these three matches for each of these players individually, uh, for whom is this grind most important in terms of their individual aspirations to contribute to their national team? Yeah, I have a uh, very simple, I think I think we both probably agree that, that there's a pretty obvious order here, which is Randall Leal. He's a guy who has the potential to, to maybe move back to Europe if he has a really big um, blow up in his career, both for the national team and with Nashville. Um, Alistair Johnston, somewhat similar, uh, similar in age to Leal, obviously much less known before arriving in Nashville. Walker Zimmerman is a guy who, um, you know, is, he's still in his late twenties. Um, Anibal Godoy is, is on the other side of 30. So he's, he's, um, you know, 
obviously he he dies for the Panama crest for sure. This is a dude who absolutely loves his country and loves his national team, but he he's done it a lot. It's different when you already have 102 caps or whatever it is for him than it is for some of these guys who are who have other career and and um you know they have more time with their national teams ahead of them. Yeah, I have the exact same order. Um I think I think we're in full agreement. We're embracing full consensus um, in that. Final category to rank, the damage their absence will do to Nashville Soccer Club. I think Walker Zimmerman we've seen and I've, I've written on clubcountryusa.com about his importance to Nashville's set pieces, even though it, it might not have seemed when he first left camp that it was going to be that big of a deal. Randall Layall is so important, not just for what he does creatively, but also because he takes a lot of pressure off of Hani Mukhtar. Um, Alistair Johnston, obviously, we have spent a lot of this podcast talking about his versatility and, and the different ways in which he can help Nashville SC. But that also means that there are are different players who can step in and, and replace the different ways that he helps this team. And last is Anibal Godoy. And when I think probably a top six or seven most important player to this team is fourth on this list, that tells you just how impressive these four guys are because Nashville does have a guy in Todd Ryan Anunga who can step in and, and replace him. And he's not going to be Anibal Godoy, but certainly I think he's going to be closer to Anibal Godoy than, than maybe some of the, the depth players could be to Walker Zimmerman or Randall Leal. I just have Johnston and Leal switched. Um, I think, you know, because Nashville has struggled at times with defensive solidity and Johnston certainly offers offers the ability and, and to just have somebody back there in whom you're totally confident. And the attack is buzzing in part because of Leal, but because of so many other factors as well. So, um, you know, they're still vital. They're, they're both vital to this team. <laughs> uh, all four of these guys really are. They wouldn't be also playing for their national teams. Uh, they wouldn't be good enough. So, yeah, I, I think Zerman, Johnston, Leal, Godoy would be, would be my order there. Uh, NYC, by the way, also going to be missing four players. We mentioned that earlier. They are James Sands for the U.S., Alex Callens, Maxime Cheneau, and Goody Thorarenson. Um, all four of them started versus New England. In fact, all four of them are significant players for this New York team, all really along the back line. And, and Sands kind of bridges that gap and sometimes plays a defensive midfield, mm-hmm. but, but he's kind of a hybrid player. 60 starts between the four of them. Uh, they are four of the top five players in clearances for this New York team. So... While Nashville's going to be missing some key defensive pieces, yeah. you could argue NYCFC will be even more depleted defensively. I think you'd be right. Callens and, and Cheneau are, are locked in starters at center back. And when either of them is unavailable, Sands slides back and plays a more pure center back rather than the defensive midfield position. And, and Goody Thorarenson taught the Cooligans how to shoot penalty kicks. So that's four pretty key guys. <laughs> I mean, you can't, can't argue with that. For the final whistle... I'm going to brag for a second. It's been about a month, maybe a little longer since I've done that. MLS Fantasy, I'm fourth. I'm in the Champions League places right now. Just 30 points back of of Jamie Watson, TV color analyst for Nashville SC. Uh, Tim, you're uh, you're a mid-table team. You're still in that like kind of Crystal Palace or maybe usually where West Ham is. Can't say that this year so far. Nor do I want, <laughs> nor do I want to talk any further about the uh, Premier League table. <laughs> Don't worry, don't, Alexis took all the lumps for you during the interview last time. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad there's another um, foolish person around that's still clinging <laughs> to this hope that Arsenal could one day be something. Um, you are 308 points back of me, so just right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the equivalent of, like, you know, 30 MLS goals. But you're safe from relegation, <laughs> thanks in part to Braden Gall. Hey, there we go. 22nd out of 25 right now is Braden. Uh, I don't know if Braden remembers he has a team. Just you know. Well, hey, thank you for reminding me that I do, because I am... <laughs> chugging along mid table without having set my lineup in several weeks so thank you for this reminder as well to to go in there and, and get it all set before week 23 there is nothing more deflating than bragging about being ahead of somebody 
who doesn't even regard the competition as important enough to, um, to, <laughs> to make remember part of their week. <laughs> so thank you for completely bursting my bubble there. And uh, speaking of bursting the bubbles, the leader right now in our group, he's been, been the leader for a while, is for some reason an Atlanta United supporter. I don't know if Sam listens to us. I don't know if he just saw a group. Maybe he liked the idea of club and country and thought it was something different. I don't know. But you guys don't want to let an Atlanta it, fan It's all thing. things to all people, Wes. Come on. Well, it is, of course. Clubcountryusa.com. Not just for Nashville SC supporters. Uh, and that is true with your power rankings and much of the other analysis you do about the U.S. Men's National Team. Oh, and, and, and check out a photo gallery from today's or from Monday's U.S. Men's National Team practice. Walker Zerman in photos. Yep, do it. They are training here in Nashville. Tim was able to make it uh, make it out. Um, so Sam from Atlanta leads. Don't let an ATL United fan win this. Come on, check your teams. That includes you, Tim. And you're welcome for the uh, reminder to check your squad. Uh, what's going to happen against New York? What's your bold prediction? Yeah, I haven't dug into NYCFC too deeply yet to see how they're going to paper over some of these absences that we just mentioned. But a full-strength NYCFC is the best team by some distance in not just the Eastern Conference, but in Major League Soccer. Wow. So without getting too detailed, I, I do have to pick NSC's first home loss since last November. Is, I believe the, f- the final game against FC Dallas that the teams played in their in their five-game set that FC Dallas finally got a win. And I think that it'll be the first time that a visitor takes all three points since then. I think Nashville SC supporters should accept that it's, it's going to happen at some point. Of these remaining mm-hmm. four... I think you have to feel whether it's, you know, Orlando coming back in town or, or this team or even a Red Bulls team that gave Nashville fits and has since not played very well, but, but that style can be, can be tricky. NYCFC is the best candidate though, to beat Nashville at Nissan stadium remaining mm-hmm. this year. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen, but I agree that it could, I think without full back lines for each of these teams with, with a lot of rotation uh, coming on the back halves of each of these teams formations, I'm going to say there are going to be at least three combined goals in the first half. This is not an audacious prediction based on how Nashville's played offensively at home. I think we see a 2-1 scoreline. I doubt it's 3-0 one way or another. I don't think it's going to be a dominant game for either team. I think a 2-1 scoreline is what I'm looking for um, in the first half. Uh, That's Again, don't know who's going to do it, but... I think I think that's that's kind of the way this game could be headed. If you like fireworks, come on out. I think you're going to see some attacking soccer between these two teams. And you know what? If there are any U.S. men's national team fans who have stumbled upon this podcast, potentially looking for something else, as Wes rudely just accused others of, <laughs> of finding this podcast. But if, if people are coming to the game Sunday and they make it to town a couple of days early, come Come check out Nashville SC. I think they'll be pretty pleased with the product that they see on the pitch. Definitely. It's going to be worth your time. And then you're going to learn, hey, this is a team I should follow. In fact, I should visit clubcountryusa.com like every day and figure out what's going on with that team and listen to us every Tuesday or whenever you find it in your weekly routine to be convenient. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, Tim. Fun as always. A lot going on for you with covering U.S. men's national team qualifying. Uh, hope you guys all check it out online and keep listening. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, ESPN 94.9. For the highlights, uh, Braden for submitting uh, just an awesome conversation with John Brown. Uh, he's part of the 440 Sports Network. So are we. Listen to all those podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about us. And for us in the Nashville scene, best of Nashville 2021. Oh, had to catch that. Thank you. Yes, get that mentioned in. We want to not only be the number one podcast in this town, we want to beat the other ones specifically on this network. And there are others like Steve Cavanish in Lamestream Sports. We know he's a regular listener. He's trying to plug that podcast. Look, I love that podcast. It's great. But this needs it's to be not as good as this one. Best. It's not. It's just not. You know, it's 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 the number one podcast of record for Nashville SC fans from two guys who cover the club longer than anyone else. And those two guys will talk to you next week. <laughs>